Hello there. Welcome back to another episode of my weekly show. I'm Father Roderick, currently in the United States, preparing for <laughs> maybe the most exciting weekend of the year for me as a Star Wars fan because it is time for the Star Wars celebration in Anaheim. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. This show, as all my shows are, made possible thanks to my patrons over at patreon.com slash fatherrodrick. And I'm always happy to kind of feel the pulse of the community thanks to those patrons. They are, in many ways, your representatives. They tell me what they like, what they would like me to explore, the things that they would like me to do more of, and stuff that they don't care for and maybe want me to do less of. It is a very valuable source of information and inspiration for me. So if you want to join them, fatherroderick.com is the place for all the information or just go straight to patreon.com slash fatherroderick. Do you know what's going on? This is what's happening in your world. They said Catholics rule. We got Boston, South America, the good part of Ireland, and we're making serious inroads in Mozambique, baby. You've taken your first step into a larger world. In my podcast, The Walk, I've explained how Star Wars has turned me from a Baggins into a Took. That sounds a bit strange because that is from a different universe. But you know that Bilbo feels at first in the story when we first meet him uh, very much like a like a Baggins. He likes to be home. He likes the comfort of the Shire, the predictability of his life. But then adventure knocks on his door and the Took awakens. The, the, the other part of his family that was much more adventurous, unpredictable, and he decides to make room for the took in himself and he goes on this adventure and his life has never been the same for me star wars did that and and motivated me to explore strange new worlds wait a minute that's not star wars that's star trek but um luke skywalker going off planet and becoming a jedi for me that was something that was so aspirational that for the rest of my life i would be always looking for you know, where can I travel? What what more is there to explore? There's so much in this universe that I'm fascinated with. Why stay stuck on Tatooine, whatever, you know, Tatooine stands for, y- your day-to-day routine, if you can also enrich your life and that of others with exploration and discovery. So that is why I travel from time to time. Not always, because I the Baggins in me is also still very, very strong. I like to be at home. I have a wonderful home. I like to be in the parish. Uh, I love the predictability of my life. But there are moments where it starts to itch and I need to go out. I want to go and travel and explore and, 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 and go to places and meet friends, have new experiences. For me, this month where I get to travel to Italy and to the United States, uh, in a way... I'm catching up with how my life was before the pandemic. I didn't travel all the time, but a few times a year I would go places and I would have stories to tell. And uh, during the pandemic, my reservoir of stories was drying up a little bit. And uh, now that I'm no longer doing television shows, same thing. The, the, the work that I did for TV was a reason for me to go out and meet new people, do interviews. And then I always had new stories to tell because those travels always impact me and, and inspire me. But now that I have traveled uh, and am traveling still, I, I, I feel that this is definitely not going to be the last trip I'm going to make. Um, was it last week that I w- shared with you how much I, I loved being in France in, in that, um, uh, with uh, my good friend Theo, who is a, a hermit there. I'm, I'm more and more tempted to go back to France, if only for a few days. Just go there and uh, go on a retreat or meet some people there, maybe even film a documentary, why not? France is, has, has that magical effect on me. Uh, I love the language, I love the culture, I love the food, I love the history of that country. So maybe that's going to be one of my next trips. Although, I'm also tempted to go back to Ireland, to travel again to Scotland. There is so much that I could do. As long as, you know, the world stays pandemic-free, or at least safe, more or less. I mean, 
if the, if the, if there is ever going to be an end to the situation in Ukraine and, and and with Russia, I'd love to to travel east as well, and explore that part of Europe. There are so many stories there and so much history, but we kind of mess up the beautiful world in which we live because oftentimes we are just motivated by greed instead of respect and admiration for this wonderful world that God gives us. How do you not like movies? They're predictable. Like, the guy gets the girl and that kid sees dead people and Darth Vader is Luke's father. Not liking movies is like not liking puppies. They're fine. I just get bored and never make it to the end. You know, you need a movie education. You need a movication. Now I'm going to give it to you. Because it is uh, Star Wars month for me, I wanted to follow up on last week's episode of my thoughts back then in, in history and now about the three, the three trilogies of Star Wars. Last week I spoke a little bit about the original trilogy, um, not so much about what it meant to me. I realized afterwards I mostly spoke about uh, uh, George Lucas messing around with the special effects to upgrade his movies, but... The original trilogy was very important to me. It gave me imagination, hope. Uh, I learned the value of friendship. Uh, I love the theme of the, uh, the the battle between good and evil. The villains of the star, the original trilogy were amazing, especially Darth Vader, of course, but also Boba Fett. And then finally, of course, the reveal that a little old man was actually a very powerful, force-wielding emperor. It was more cruel than anyone else we had met so far in the story. Um, it is an amazing trilogy, and it holds up so well. And then, of course, years and years later, we got the prequels. Now, that was a very different experience for me. Uh, when the prequels were in preparation, I was already a priest. I was working in a small parish, and... Uh, I was doing part-time research at the university, and because I was at the university, I had access to the internet, which back then was still not a common thing, and I found information about this new movie, this new Star Wars movie that George Lucas was working on, and uh, before he announced that, or maybe while they were preparing for this new movie... That's when he started working on the special editions. And there was a, one website, I think it was called something like Red 5. And every time there was like a new still of the of the, uh, the special effects that they were adding, he would uh, make a comparison between the old scene and the way it looked now. I was, I was totally hooked on that website. I went there multiple times per day just to see if there was any news about these special editions. And... It was so much fun to share that common interest of, uh, with with other Star Wars fans from all over the world that were gathering on that website. It seems so normal now, but back then that was unheard of, that you could meet other Star Wars fans through the internet. And uh, uh, when the movie uh, The Force Awakens was announced, I was so hyped and and I was, I really felt like, whoa, I never thought that Star Wars would ever come back in my life. Uh, but it is, and now I want to be on top of it. I want to know everything about this movie. So I started to do my research. I built a website first on GeoCities, and then I, I got my own domain, and uh, I don't even know, WordPress wasn't around. Uh, but I hand-coded a website on which I was just gathering all the information and tidbits and rumors and I tried to patch together the story because I just, I was so in need of new Star Wars content. At the same time, all these novels came out, the expanded universe. I started reading those, and they were so good, especially the Thrawn trilogy, the, the, the Heir to the Empire. Um, but there were also, you know, Kevin Anderson um, novelizations that I really loved, and it just the Jedi Academy, uh, Rogue, what was it, Rogue Squadron? It was just all of a sudden as if Star Wars was everywhere. And ultimately, the the website that I was uh, um, that was making was got so successful that uh, it came to the attention of the Force.net. They asked me if I wanted to join them and bring my 
website uh, under their umbrella, uh, which I did. And then ultimately I ended up going to the United States for the premiere of The Phantom Menace and for the first Star Wars celebration. And I saw the movie, not in Denver, because that was before the release of the movie, um, but I saw the movie in Dallas, Texas. Uh, that's where um, the at least the two um, founding members of the Force.net staff were uh, were living. Uh, they were both from from Texas A and M, and so we met up in in Dallas, and uh, I saw the, the the premiere in a packed movie theater. And it was the first time in my life that I saw a movie in, in the United States. And I remember how impressed I was with the audience reaction in the Netherlands. Nobody speaks during a movie. Nobody reacts to it. Maybe if, the, if you're in a funny movie, people will laugh. But that's about it. But here, like every second, people were cheering and yelling at the screen and, 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 and excited and waving lightsabers. It was a very chaotic premiere. But the overall energy in the theater was overwhelming. And my first experience of the movie was also super overwhelming. I I, I remember just like, oh my gosh, this is, ah, this is the best thing in the world. And what was, of course, interesting for me, extra interesting, was to see if what I had guessed and had blogged about for three years, if I was right or wrong. And I was making these Photoshop impressions of what uh, certain scenes could look like and then to see what it ended up looking like it was amazing and, and a lot of the moments in the movie especially the pot race was so much cooler than than what i could have envisioned and it was that was the overwhelming feeling that i had like oh my gosh i can't believe that this is this is so good this is so amazing and then the next day i saw it again uh, also in, in, in Dallas. And that's when it started to sink in. I, I was able to follow a little bit better. It's a complicated story. Lots of politics going on. And the motives are not always very clear in the first when you first see it. Uh, so who is doing what and what's at stake? And what about these Nemoidians? And why are, why are the, these Nemoidians blocking Naboo? What does Naboo have to do with the with Palpatine? How does it all come together? There's this kind of double double play. Palpatine pretends to be the good guy, but in fact he's manipulating everyone. And uh, it, it took me several viewings before I finally started to grasp what was truly going on. Um, and then I, I loved the movie, but the more I saw it, the more I also saw it flaws, its flaws. Uh, I, I noticed that um, some of the scenes felt rushed. A lot of the dialogue was wooden. Um, the, the, the acting of Jake Lloyd, uh, who plays Anakin, was okay. I, I mean, there were some nice moments, but the, the, clearly it, it, the direction was not very good. Uh, the dialogue seemed awkward. There were so many non-sequiturs, like... I thought you were an angel. What's and then 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 he gives uh, Padme this um, pendant, and and I'm thinking obviously like anyone else. Oh, this will be a payoff later on. This will come back. This is important. This is a detail. This is no no follow up whatsoever. Completely random things, random dialogue, uh, that sort of stuff. Uh, the 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 battle droid. I hated the battle droids. I thought they they were so lame. I still think they're lame. Roger, Roger. <laughs> Ugh, that felt like a toy. And no, never cared for the battle droids. Still don't care for the battle droids. Now, you have to keep in mind. I grew up with the original trilogy, so I'm always comparing this with how stormtroopers felt to me. And stormtroopers were like, oh, "That is so cool, so impressive." And then you get these battle droids. They just look like bad lego it's it's just not nothing is is menacing about them the 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 bad guys were were okay you've got you know palpatine you know he's going to be the bad guy but he doesn't seem menacing at all in this episode you've got these these 
holographic images of, of, of uh, Darth Sidious, who, of course, you know that it's Palpatine. So knowing all that, knowing where it's gonna, how it's going to end, kind of made it much less impactful. Um, the, uh, the Darth Maul was by far the best-looking villain Star Wars has ever had. But it was so disappointing that his role was so short and small. And it's only this, this final fight towards the end. But it, even the looks of that fight, I didn't care for it with these weird energy walls. And then the, the, it all looked bland and, and, and not very imaginative. And then they kill off Qui-Gon Jinn. Like, pff, seriously, why? Why? We've, we've only... I mean, it's Liam Neeson... Why would you kill him off? It, it, this this cl- could have been such a great role, but we hardly get to know him. And that that's the whole movie felt a bit rushed. And it expanded on all the Jar Jar and the Gungan stuff, which I liked Amit best and his humor. But when I saw the final results, it kind of fell flat. The jokes were not very good. The physical humor was way over the top and slapsticky. Um. Yeah, it's just a lot of you feel that there is something there. This could be good, but it's just the execution is is stilted. Is not is not as good as I hoped it would be, and the writing is terrible. The dialogue, I still cringe with every movie of the prequels. I cringe at the dialogue. It is so bad, and um, I got really excited for the second movie when I heard that there was so much chemistry between Aidan Christensen and Natalie Portman. And I, they released a clip of their uh, first uh, table read, or it wasn't even a table read, it was like the, their, their audition. And, and I was like, wow, these two are made for one another. This is totally going to work. Eh, not at all. I, I really hated Anakin in the second movie. I was like, from the moment, even during the first time I saw the movie, I was like, is this Anakin? Come on. What a whining, childish, an immature guy. Nothing like young Jake Lloyd. Nothing like the, this bright-eyed, enthusiastic kid that we saw on Tatooine. And, and, and the reason that he is so bitter and so, like, bad character is not explained. It, they don't make it believable. And then uh, Natalie Portman's character, Padme, falling in love with this jerk? Seriously? felt so contrived, so not believable. There was a lot I liked about the second movie. I, I remember the first time I thought, oh, well, I, it's better than the first one. There's action, it's funny. Um, I love the locations. The looks were great, except for the final thing with the insects in the, in the arena. Didn't care for that. But yeah, I mean, things are moving. It's, it's okay. And then but later on, I, I I just I can't get over how bad the the direction is of this movie and and the, how awkward everybody feels. Um, I think it's also because of the micromanaging of George Lucas, the fact that they were playing against green screen, the whole f- way in which these movies were made didn't help the process at all. And and so I am, for my part, extremely happy that George Lucas is no longer heading, spearheading these movies. He's a great visionary. He's a great storyteller. But he's a, a lousy director. Sorry. Great editor. He's a great editor, but he cannot direct dialogue. He cannot direct actors. And the fact that in the, 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 the initial trilogy, that's not much of an issue, I think, is because it's very fast. And it's also too much to the credit of, of the actors. And their chemistry. Even a bad director like George Lucas couldn't couldn't destroy that chemistry and the humor that was that was there. Whereas there didn't seem to be much humor between Hayden Christensen and Natalie Portman. Natalie Portman herself, her delivery was disappointing. I remember how grating I found her voice. Like I will not condone a course of action that will lead us to war. She has no intonation. I mean, she's a good actress, but her voice is just... Compared to Carrie Fisher, who is so expressive, so, like, bubbling energy, and then so... Div- so, I don't know. Carrie Fisher 
had such a range in her acting, whereas Natalie Portman, especially in her younger years, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty girl, but as an actress, yeah, it just didn't work. And 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 then the way it was written, Anakin being such a jerk, it it just didn't work. The whole romance did not feel believable. And then the third movie, I think, was mostly saved because of the dynamic between uh, Anakin and 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 Obi Wan. I remember that first space dogfight. That was awesome. That was great. There was humor, and that felt like okay. This is what the second movie should have been. And there are some very weak moments in the third movie as well, but at least we're getting somewhere. There's this very emotional finale, this fight. There is, there's definitely, of the prequels, the, the best movie. Strangely enough, it's a movie that I have not watched that, that often. Um, I've, I've rewatched The Phantom Menace multiple times. I've watched the second movie a couple of times, and the third movie only a few times. I don't know why that is. There are kids that have grown up with the prequels, and for them, that's their Star Wars. Um, and that's totally fine with me. Who am I to to uh, to say anything bad about that? But it never really worked for me. But thankfully, we had the sequels. And I will give you more of my thoughts on the sequels in the next episode. <laughs> Catholics rock! Here at the Peculiar Bunch, we're always happy to tell you everything you always wanted to know about Catholics, but you're afraid to ask. Catholics can be a peculiar bunch. No meat on Friday. No meat? What do they eat? Light bulbs? Today I want to give you a tip. What you can do when you're in a mass or a liturgical celebration and the choir is horrible. Man, you guys got more crazy rules than blockbuster video. You would think that as a priest, it's my job to enjoy liturgy, right? To always be kind of at least appreciating what we're doing. Well, on a certain level, I do. It's important. Mass is very important. But the execution and the form and the language and the music especially is definitely not always my cup of tea. And I'm more, I'm much more honest about this than I used to be, but I think that most of our liturgies are terrible. And I cannot believe that we're still singing those same songs and that it's so subpar. Uh, there's no creativity, and I, I I may sound a bit bitter, but I am a, I am bitter that after growing up in this church with this horrible liturgy that was especially in, when I grew up, it was still in the experimental phase, and it, and it was sometimes I loved the kind of the high masses with the frankincense and classical music, and uh, yeah, I love that, but then. These, these these very modern liturgies where they just would make up their own prayers and 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 they would sing these terrible songs of horrible melodies and, and and it's just incomprehensible language oy, 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 oy. it is thanks to my time that I spent for five years in in in, in the French part of Belgium when I when I was raised partially in the, in the French liturgical tradition. That kind of saved me. That told me that there is another way. And what we do in the Netherlands is really nothing compared to the traditions in France and, and, and the way that they treat liturgy. It was just day and night. And then after five years, I returned to the Netherlands for the second part of my formation, and I was back, back in hell <laughs> when it comes to liturgy. It was so awful. Liturgy in the seminary was the worst I've ever experienced for five years. Five years of liturgical misery. Yeah, they were following the rules. But good Lord, there was nothing in that liturgy that appealed to me. And, and a lot of my fellow seminarians, they had no, never experienced anything else. So for them, it's just like, what are, you, what are you complaining about? I mean, this is normal. 
Like, no, this is not normal. I've I've been in on a different planet. This is the most awful liturgy that you can do. It's it's just ah, oh, everything is repulsive, especially the music and the songs. And you know what? I've been a priest for twenty five years, and nothing has changed. It's just like it was in seminary. It's just like when I was a kid, and as a child, I already hated it. The only the only stuff that I really appreciated was was nice classical music, well executed classical masses, but I didn't care for the concert nature of that. And and Gregorian chant. Simplicity. And and then later on when I was in, in, in the French liturgical culture, I loved the music there. It was beautiful melodies. Um a lot of it was in, in influenced by songs from the charismatic movement, the, the the Catholic charismatic movement. So not the the kind of uh what is it? Church, church, church hill? No, what was it? Hill, hill song. Yeah, I should say downhill song now with all the scandals in the in that particular congregation. But it wasn't that at all. I didn't care for that either. But it was just beautiful melodies and and, and music that touched your heart and it moved you. And 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 uh, we would sing uh, melodies from the um, Byzantine rite. Um, beautiful psalms from the Anglican liturgy. Uh, uh, and, and, and it was just like everything that was beautiful was part of the liturgy. And I've never understood why nobody translated that and brought that to the Netherlands or anywhere else. When I came to Italy, I was also like looking forward to celebrating the liturgy there. And oh, what a poverty. Seriously. It's just because it's a very traditional Catholic country that people still go to church. But but it, a lot of the masses in Italy are the worst of the worst. Yeah, they follow the rules. That's all you can say. But it's rushed. It's not inspiring. The, the songs are horrible. Uh, there's no beauty in that liturgy at all. It's so weird. It should be the best the best place to be, the most beautiful culture, the most beautiful music. And it's possible because we can do it in other domains as well. Look at the, the quality of music that we listen to on the radio, the, the, the music that singer-songwriters make, even TikTokers that make the most amazing music. And in church, we're just like back in hell. <laughs> what is happening? Why can't we spend a little bit of money on on songwriters and hiring some quality people that know how music works and 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 start all over again? So I cannot change that. There, you cannot fight all these fights. I know that that this should change because it's totally chasing away people. It's a huge, huge threshold that prevents people from from understanding what liturgy is and what it can mean to you. Because it's just awful, and it's and it's the same everywhere. I mean, when I came to America, the United States, and some of these parishes, and I hear what the songs they sing. Oy, 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 oy. Oh, please, God! <laughs> I need earplugs. But here's what I do. I go to a lot of parishes, and sometimes music is is, is quite nice. Sometimes it's even. M- really beautiful but a lot of times it's kind of really bad <laughs> i don't like the songs i the, the choir is old and and uh, they their hearing is going uh is is deteriorating so they have difficulty singing uh the notes and so when that happens when i'm in a mass like that and i can hear from the from the opening songs like this is going to be purgatory. <laughs> one hour. One hour. I have this little game that I play, and I did this as a kid already. When when a mass was very long and I was a, an altar boy, uh, I would be bored. You know, the, the, the homily was, was, sometimes, was oftentimes boring. And so I played games. I was just going in, in, in my mind and I was telling myself stories. So what I do now is when whenever there's a particularly horrible song, I imagine, I close my eyes and I imagine that I, that I go to the nearest door and then I move a painting and behind the painting is a, is a corridor 
and I walk down that tunnel, and then there is a great, uh, uh, like a, a, a fence, and I open the fence with a rusty key, and then there are, like, the, the whole tunnel stretches out in the distance, and it turns and twists, and it's lit only by, by these, um, these, these big uh, torches. And so I, 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 I go through that tunnel, and then in the, in the distance I hear the sounds of like a strange animal sound. It's like, and there's this other big door, and it's a blue, painted blue door. I'm literally describing what I see when I close my eyes. There's this big blue wooden door. And it's got a golden knob, and I turn the knob, I open the door, and all of a sudden the, the cold air of a massive ice grotto hits me. And the, the it's all transparent ice, and the sun is shining, and there is an opening that leads to the sea. The water is this, this beautiful greenish-blue color, and there are penguins everywhere. And all these penguins are looking at me. I'm stepping through that door and they're like, and they walk towards me. And, I, and suddenly I realize I've, I've got a bag in my hand with food. So I start to feed the penguins. And then once they have eaten, they, are, they, are, they have a lot of energy. So they start jumping around and swimming and then chasing one another. And I just look at those, at those penguins and I keep feeding the little ones. And then, and then all of a sudden, I something in the back of my mind tells me the song is about to finish. And so I was like, hey, guys, see you later. And I go back through that blue door. I leave the bag with the food behind. I close the door. I run through the tunnel and then open the, the, the grate, go to the, up the stairs, through the door, close, put the painting back, and then I enter the church again. And then it's like, let us pray. So if you ever watch me in, in, in Father Henry's parish and I close my eyes, you know, I'm, sometimes we stream those masses from the church. I close my eyes. I'm not praying. I'm feeding penguins. When did you become an expert in thermonuclear astrophysics? Last night. The packet. The extraction theory papers. Am I the only one who did the reading? I read a famous book. <laughs> Thinking it would be good, after all, it was not just a book. It was also a movie. And the movie was titled, that's how I recognize the title of the book, The Perks of Being a Wallflower. And I knew that it was a famous book and, and it got all sorts of five stars, five star reviews. And, and man, I was like, okay, I've got the audiobook version of this. It's written by Stephen Kabosky. If this is worth worthy of a movie, I should read this book. The movie itself was made in 2012, I think. And uh, the, I, I might as well just read you the IMDb uh, uh, summary, because it's a summary also of the book. It stars a few actors, kind of like, before they were super famous, uh, one of which is Emma Watson, of course, who plays Hermione in the Harry Potter saga. Ezra Miller, who's now, of course, very much mm, persona non grata, as he's, he's been be misbehaving quite a bit. Paul Rudd, that's Ant-Man, right? And some other actors, lesser known actors at least. Well, Julia Garner is there. Um who does she play? That's such a familiar name. Let me just Google this real quickly. Oh, that's... No. She's in, in Ozark. That's where I know her from. She's in Ozark. She's amazing in Ozark. Uh, it's a Netflix series. Anyway, so she's already in this movie, which is like 10 years old. And... Oh, she's she's playing Inventing Anna. That, oh my gosh, she's so talented. I, I this is the first time. This is mind blowing. I did not realize that the the actress who plays Julie Gar um, who plays uh, Anna in Inventing Anna is the same girl from from Ozark. Whoa. Okay, that is that is impressive. Now I I want to go see that movie. Um, What's the summary of the movie? I saw it here in my browser. Why can't I find it now? Where did it go? Eh, it's gone. Okay, I've got too many 
Like any old man, I have way, way too many tabs open. I can't, can't find anything on his computer. Where's my information? Okay, well. Uh, like the back cover. Okay, I'll just read the back cover of the book. Standing on the fringes of life offers a unique perspective. But there comes a time to see what it looks like from the dance floor. Whatever. This haunting novel about the dilemma of passivity versus passion marks the stunning debut of a provocative new voice in contemporary fiction. The perks of being a wallflower. This is the story of what it's like to grow up in high school. More intimate than a diary, Charlie's letters are singular and unique, hilarious and devastating. We may not know where he lives. We may not know to whom he is writing. All we know is the world he shares. Caught between trying to live his life and trying to run from it puts him on a strange course through uncharted territory. The world of first dates and mixtapes, family dramas and new friends. The world of sex, drugs, and the Rocky Horror Picture Show, when all one requires is that perfect song on that perfect drive to feel infinite. My monitor just turned off, hence the bleeps. Through Charlie, Stephen Kaboski has created a deeply affecting coming-of-age story, a powerful novel that will bring you back to those wild and poignant roller coasters days known as growing up. Trying to turn on that monitor because my mouse is connected to the monitor. So if the monitor switches off, my mouse doesn't work anymore. What a bleep! This is so overhyping the book. This is the worst book that I read this year. Oh, I hated it. It was so horrible. This is what I wrote on, on Goodreads. This book did not work for me at all. Maybe the reason it has been so popular with so many readers is that they can relate to the main character and to the things that he experienced as a teenager. However, the world of this teen is so foreign to me, so devoid of values, devoid of ideals or any type of insight that I couldn't connect with the story at any point. That, that's the shortest review that I wrote down. Because I felt if I would write anything else, it would not be it would not be charitable. But this is a horrible book. It's such a stupid book and no message whatsoever. No boah. It's just one of those books that really I rarely have that. It was like this was a waste of my time. And yet I wanted I, I was just hoping like like halfway through the book, it was like I don't understand. Why is this a movie? Why do people like this story? Why is this a bestseller? I cannot understand it. There is, it's such a terrible story. And then, and then towards the end, I'm just hoping, well, maybe there's something in towards the end that is going to be this big reveal and this big like, oh, oh, now I get it. And I finished the book and I was like, well, pff, that's a couple of hours that I'll never get back. What a waste of time. One star. No, I gave it two... Wait, I gave it two stars? Okay, I'm going to change this. Based on how I feel now, it should be one star. There you go. I just adapted my... <laughs> I'm still mad at having re read this book. That's how stupid it was. Scientifically wonderful world of science. What sort of science? Welcome back, science friends. Welcome back, science friends. Ah, <sighs> Calm down. Should, should billionaires rule in space? That that is a that's a, a really serious question nowadays. There are people that are actually advocating for NASA and ASA to shut down and just hand over space to the billionaires. Why? Because they say it will diminish the risks. It's going to be so traumatic when we as nations are exploring space and then something happens and it becomes this national trauma. Why not let these billionaires send their stuff up in space and their people then when there's an accident then at least, you know, eh, it's commercial. So these people knew what they were in for. And, and, and what's more, they have got the money. This is costing the taxpayers so much. Let, let the billionaires rule space. 
I was like, no, don't do that. The, the billionaires in this world are already taking hold of so much that I think should be, you know, the public domain. The, uh, when was it? Last week or the week before? I spoke about Twitter and, and Elon Musk buying Twitter. Now, Twitter, of course, has never been public domain, but it is very, a very important platform for everyone in the world to share their thoughts. It's by no means the only possibility, and I'm pretty sure that over time alternative platforms will emerge, but the fact that one billionaire can just buy that thing and and make it private and rule it as a as a as a like a solitary ruler, that's bad news. What if this guy loses his marbles <laughs> what if he makes stupid mistakes what if he's influenced by 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 you know money or or political uh, uh, uh players Th- there's so much that can go wrong let alone if we go to space you know space exploration should be of all of it. that's why star trek is such an important fairy tale for us because it shows us that ex- exploration Taking risks, curiosity, meeting other f- species and, 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 and planets, that should be something, an adventure for all of us, not just, not just ruled by money. Exploration, space exploration should not be about money. It should not be about making money. It should be about exploration, about the aspirat- aspirational aspect of, of space travel. There are so many kids that have studied science, have, have, wanting, have wanted to become astronauts themselves or build rockets or because of the examples of the, of the astronauts that came before them. You lose all that if you turn it into a commercial enterprise. So should billionaires rule in space? No. Absolutely not. We are on the cutting edge of technology. Wow. Well, what does that mean? Let's plug it in. It's going to say, hey, I see you plugged in a new device. And it's going to load in the appropriate drivers. You'll notice that this scanner built... Whoa. Well, all your technology stuff, it just ends in disaster. But there is one more thing. Speaking about Twitter and social platforms, um, there, there is something that I that I learned a while ago. Uh, I'm following a, a few journalists, investigative journalists, and they are starting to discover TikTok and YouTube as a as a way to uh, drum up interest for their stories, or they can give some you know background information. How did this story come about? Uh, why did I write it this way? As, answering questions and. So I was following this journalist for, you know, unrelated reasons, but, but then she posted a TikTok video on uh, about the, the, all the, the controversy surrounding TikTok itself. And you'll remember this from a few years ago when there was this uproar and uh, back then the President uh, Trump, he's, he f- was like, TikTok is uh, dangerous for children and you, know, you can't trust the Chinese um, we we I want to force TikTok to sell, uh, and 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 we need to own it. It needs to be in American hands, and so, like, it was very very much vo- uh, focusing on TikTok as if TikTok was the worst of the worst. Turns out, a few years later, thanks to the work of these investigative journalists, that this was not by accident, and it was. Not by accident that this was mainly focusing in the United States on TikTok, whereas in in Europe there was a much broader uh, criticism of all these big players: Google, Facebook, now Meta, and TikTok. And there was great shared concern in 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 European countries about the protection of privacy because all these platforms make their money by profiling, by by gathering tons and tons of information about your whereabouts, your your preferences. They know you better than you know yourself. And of course, we we need to protect. You may say, I don't have any secrets. But you should also protect the weak, the vulnerable. What if uh, medical organizations uh, know exactly 
what what your your ailments and can 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 start trying to sell you stuff or uh, may look at the statistics and think hey in a few years time people are going to need this medication so we're going to up the price already and there are so many ways in which this the, the protection of our data and our per- personal information is is important to protect misuse one of the companies that was extremely uh, well evil I, I i have no other words for it evil when it comes to to breaching uh the privacy of its users it's facebook we know we have proof that facebook has done a ton of things that are totally unacceptable and in europe there has been a huge backlash google is not much better Apple is, 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 has used this, this whole development to, to tout themselves as being so, so protective of our, of our personal information. But make no mistake, Apple also gathers a lot of information on us, just less than the other parties. But, um, but, but Meta, Facebook, was the worst, worst of the worst. So how come that in the United States, all of a sudden, every, everybody is criticizing only TikTok? Well turns out according to this journalist meta was behind all these bad stories a lot of these bad stories they were paying people to write stories investigative stories about all these uh alleged uh scandals going on behind the scenes of tiktok and how tiktok was 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 um, uh, dangerous for children and uh, but the the they of course had so much interest in Making sure that TikTok was banned or or was 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 feared by people so that they would stay on on Facebook. They were losing millions of customers to TikTok, and for a good reason because TikTok is a ton better than Facebook. I'm very critical about what TikTok may or may not be doing behind the scenes, and if and, and I've, I'm very much in favor of very strong rules, strict rules of for data protection, and I do believe that our personal data should be stored on European servers, uh, ser- servers when it comes to European data, and in the United States when it, for for Europe for American citizens. But I get really suspicious when when one company is blaming the other one just to kind of cover up their own misdeeds. I feel that that Facebook should be treated much more severely. But it's an American company. And TikTok originally was a Chinese company. And that really plays a big role in this. But it it, it has a... uh, There's a risk. We tend to overlook the ample amount of evidence that Facebook cannot be trusted. They always pretend that you can, and they, they go into these convoluted, long expositions on how it's not like it seems, and they're going to be transparent, promises, 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 but in reality, not much has changed over time. And I think that our European legislation is much more strict with these guys. And there should it should be equal for all these platforms, but it again goes to show that if this reporting is true it's really really meta and i wouldn't be surprised if this is i i haven't verified it personally but um i I believe this report um because it was a serious journalist um and i can see i can see the 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 reason there there is definitely a motive for meta to badmouth tiktok and send stories into the world to to scare parents uh so that they can stay on top of everything and be the big player but it can totally blind us for what facebook is doing themselves and we should not be blind to this we should teach our children uh to be tech savvy to not just believe all these stories and and to check double check Uh, these companies need to be transparent because there's so much at stake and it this is about the dignity of everyone and the value we are not just commodities whose data and whose 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 uh, uh, illnesses and struggles you can just use to make more money off of us. I really hope over time that a lot of these big platforms will go open source 
That's why I'm still very much in, in, interested in, in what's happening with Mastodon and how, yeah, kind of this, the fact that no one owns this place and it still works technically, uh, I think that's the way to go. And maybe, maybe that that's where ultimately things will evolve. But we have to stay critical. We have to stay vigilant. Don't just believe all these big players because they have nice stories. They want to make money just like billionaires in space. I don't trust them. I'm very critical. And so should you be. And with that, uh, wow, I was on the soap soapbox today. <laughs> Needed to get this off my chest. I, I probably will get banned on TikTok and, and Facebook tomorrow. <laughs> if the algorithm detects that I've been critical. Thank you, thank you for listening to this show and for my patrons. There is another Father Roderick to the Max just around the corner for you. And in this week's episode of Father Roderick to the Max, I will talk about uh, uh, completion rewards and how you can trick your brain into feeling good. I want to talk about upgrading ramen noodles. I will give you some of my tricks. Um, I will talk about the psychology of making decisions. Um, I want to give you an overview of all the future Star Wars projects and my thoughts on each and every one of them. And I want to talk about hoarder mentality in, in, a, in a mobile game. <laughs> all that and more in this week's episode of Father Roderick to the Max. This is uh, episode week 21, right? So uh, look for that in your feed uh, probably tomorrow. For all those of you that would like to listen to those extra podcasts, uh, it's only one click away. Just go to patreon.com slash fatherroderick. Sign up to be a patron. Um, you get a full access to, to the podcast, to the Discord server for, for only two, $2.50 per month. If you can spare that, I'd love to see you as part of my patron community. Wait no more. <laughs> Tickets are selling out. Sign up now. Ah, just kidding. Uh, it's up to you, but uh, I really love my Patreon community, and without them, I wouldn't be able to do the work that I do. See you next week. Mm-hmm.